Welcome to this Bloomberg conversation on the future of cloud powered by HeroWire. My name is Ivan Soltz and I'm Editor of Special Features at Bloomberg and I will be your host. Cloud has been key to helping businesses survive the disruption of the digital But what happens next? How does cloud continue to drive business in this changed world live in and work in the rapidly evolving digital trends? And as we're truly in the multi-cloud arena today, we need to find new ways for businesses to achieve new value with uncertainty to the agility and the flexibility of cloud brings. Today, in this Bloomberg conversation on the future of cloud, powered by HeroWire and part of our series Reimagining the Techverse, we will look at the latest trends. We will look at technology trends like multi-cloud, data clouds, etc. We will look at the opportunities for people, the opportunities for companies, as well as the challenges in the cloud space, and all of this from a business perspective. To help us do that today, we have with us two very eminent guests. First up, we have Subram Natarajan, who's a renowned technology thought leader and who currently serves as Director of Customer Engineering at Google Cloud. Next, we have Sanjit Veer Gogia, who's one of Asia's best known and most respected analysts and who serves as CEO and Principal Analyst at Greyhound Research. Thank you so much for being here today with us, gentlemen, on the future of cloud. So, Subra, thank you for being here. I wanted to start with you, right? We've had uncertainty and I think uh, like never before, uh, as at least I've known it in my life for the past uh, uh, couple of years. And first it was COVID and now there's uh, war clouds. And what does all this continuing uncertainty and, you know, the, about the stop and start economy uh, and sometimes now in a blockaded economy, et cetera, a mean for cloud strategy uh, for a business, let's say, in India? Ivo, thanks for having me, first of all, in this, uh, in this session. It really um, is a great opportunity to share some of my thoughts here. In these days of uncertain uncertainties, many ways, cloud has enabled, I would say, tremendous resilience to various businesses. And therefore, it allows them to thrive successfully in times of uncertainty. When you take organizations that have chosen to undertake digital transformation, they have not only become immune to these dis disruptions, the start-stop that you just talked about, but also have built the foundation for what I call as the innovation. And this will allow them to help reach the market in a more agile manner. See, from a Google Cloud perspective, it boils down to addressing the needs of uh, two different sets of uh, companies, if you will. One that is tenured, that have established workloads and these companies, and then there are these companies which are born on cloud. Now, essentially, when you talk about in both cases, building cloud solutions essentially means fundamental characteristics of transformation has to be there right from, right from get-go and need to be preserved as well. This means essentially four things, Ivor. First is we need to ensure that the cloud environment has enough wherewithals to build uh, what I call as a solid data platform. And, and this is because uh, based on this only, you get the analytics as well as the AI that can be built on top of it to really help the, help the business. And uh, the idea would be to drive the insights uh, into the business and therefore it become a data-driven or insight-driven enterprise. Second, we need to provide freedom to the developers and customers to choose the technology stack in tune with the needs of the customers and the market. And this essentially means 
matching the the uh, needs of innovation and also being as open as possible with respect to the framework that they choose. The third point is about uh, the stop start style of business itself, right? So when we talk about um, uh, if it disruptions, uh, you need to have a solid collaboration platform that allows not only the the employees themselves but also the customers to kind of collaborate across the boundaries. And finally, we need to make sure it, there is enough trust in the cloud technology that is being adopted. So we need to protect everything that matters. That includes your data, your workloads, as well as um, um, you know customer data also. So uh, a trusted cloud essentially becomes a pillar of delivering what I call as a transparency to the end customer. So if you really look at it, uh, building these characteristics, these four characteristics that I, uh, that I talked about, enables the whole organization to withstand the start stop or any disruption for that matter quite easily. And that's precisely what organizations have done. Thank you, Sudan. And I, I guess what we'll do is uh, during this conversation, I hope we'll get into depth into each of these uh, characteristics. So moving on, uh, Sanjit, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, the same the stop, stop and start uh, challenge. And also, I wanted to ask you about how this has really driven the move towards multi-cloud, and especially with the focus on uh, edge computing now, where closer to the customer, you have certain elements of uh, cloud computing uh, happening. Right. So thank you, Ivo, first of all, for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. So look, I think what the last uh, 24 months has done, is there's been a seismic shift in the mindset of the decision makers, I would say. It's not really been a cost cost story from a cost optimization perspective, but it's been more about how do we become more agile? How do we sort of try new business models? Uh, I'll give you a classic example. Um, hotel chains that were never sort of open to doing business otherwise were beginning to start uh, delivering meals at home, for example. Or let's say even, even PVR Cinemas, for example, is now beginning to offer doorstep services from a cleaning perspective. Now that goes to show a lot of test and fail economy has also emerged on the back of the stop and start economy, which essentially means you need that underlying pools of infrastructure and, and resources, which are one easy to get, uh, are, not, uh, are not expensive, and can also allow you to shut down instances if something doesn't really quite work. Now just imagine, let's say a large organizations, if they were to go through this entire cycle of procurement and purchase, in the traditional world, um, you know, doing a lot of these tests and trials for innovation would have been actually impossible. So this entire contactless economy was born on the back because you know these organizations were very open to now adopting cloud. However, having said that, I know uh, referring back to what Subram said, actually, uh, you know, the born in the cloud in the startup world was of course very easy to adapt. They've already been on the cloud, so their challenges are very different. However, the larger organizations, uh, which are audited five, six times a year, find themselves in quite the soup because, uh, you know, I was speaking to a bank the other day and he said, look, we have 185 applications. Now, although we want to move to the cloud, but the complexity in terms of the workloads we have, the kind of data we manage, the throughput we have, the volume, the velocity, and all of that makes it near impossible to lift and shift. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of these organizations use a more, a medium-term approach wherein they, they're adopting clouds for the non-business critical applications, but let's say an HRMS or a CRM to start with, where you know there's a 
great amount of handshake between the business and the IT. But at the at the more core infrastructure layer, we're taking we're seeing you know them take baby steps towards uh, having a more distributed environment. So essentially, a three pronged data center architecture, as I call it. One is the core DC, which is they're modernizing their core DC and they're building in private clouds, they're building in APIs to bring in other hyper clouds, hyper, you know, these hyper providers. Uh, the second one is more on the edge cloud, which is let's say having an instance which is closer to the customer to ensure the response times are, are better, to ensure that the application that on which the users are communicating or engaging with these organizations, that runs smooth, the customer experience as well. And last but not the least, there's a near DR. Now, you know, let's not forget their banking, for example, has a mandate, a compliance mandate from RBI to have a one is to one DR, but that may not be the case with everybody. So we have seen a, a dramatic shift in mindset and so much so that even boards today are very open to talking about cloud. I remember the times, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, banking would sort of, uh, would never actually warm up to cloud because of the compliances and mindsets, but that's gone that's completely changed, I would say. And that has essentially enabled a lot of the test and fail economy, which otherwise would have been, you know, took, taken decades for us to sort of come to. I worry, if, if I may, I want to compliment what uh, Sanjit was mentioning. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we really talk about hybrid multi-cloud, the reality is majority of the organizations are going to use a combination of clouds and open source software that is given. Uh, and particularly in the Indian uh, landscape, this is going to be more of a reality. Uh, so therefore, relying on single source provider or closed uh, technology stack are not going to be the norm of the day. You know, So therefore, when we are talking about customers trying to standardize because of their varied set of applications that are coming from multiple uh, business units, or through acquisitions, they might have inherited a whole different type of applications. Standardization becomes a huge headache. And that's where, uh, you know, to maintain a pure technology stack, especially in an environment where there is a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, differentiations, it becomes a big challenge. And that's where the open architecture is a choice of the day, right? Especially in a, in a multi-cloud environment. So it, it gives inevitable cloud advantage and sets the customer to address some of the needs of resilience to an earlier point we made about the start-stop economy. Here is a, you know, another characteristics that allows you to make sure that the outages are combated properly through, through uh, right kind of customer experiences. I mean, think of what, uh, you know, big uh, applications like Twitter, Walmart, OpenAI, and more close to home, Geo has done with respect to how they're adopting multi-cloud as a basis or edge as a basis to really deliver the customer experiences. So, uh, you know, this is going to be the norm of the day. You know, actually, I love what uh, Subram just said about open source. You know, we are seeing that, uh, especially workloads like SAP, which have been very intense and expensive workloads, uh, you know, they were traditionally on VMware environments, but what we're now seeing is that SAP, for example, or Linux, is all of a sudden taking up because, you know, the Linux, uh, the cost structure is a lot more simpler, uh, the skills are a lot more available. So open source as a bedrock, uh, is going through dramatic changes, and that's becoming the sort of the enterprise norm. Uh, for our, our Bombay Stock Exchange, for example, is fully open source from an architecture perspective. So that's a great point that you know, Subra mentioned. I thought I'd share with you that it's a 
huge wave of change we're seeing again in the mindset from a DevOps and enterprise architect's perspective. That, that's really, uh, you know, fascinating uh, examples that you brought here, uh, both Sanchit uh, and Sudhu. And, and that leads me uh, to my next question. Clearly, multiple uh, flavors of cloud are now the accepted uh, norm. Uh, open sources are uh, driving uh, much of this. Now, in, in, this, in this really, this, this multi-cloud uh, sort of economy this, uh, that, that companies uh, are in, what should really CIOs do, something When they are choosing a partner, what should be some of the key things that they uh, keep in mind? Because clearly, you, you want to be open, uh, etc. But at the same time, you have your business uh, priorities, especially in sectors like uh, BFSX, etc. What do you advise us? So, so look, you know, we're, we're coming, uh, I've, I've been sort of working with a very few large value organizations in India for a, for a large transformation strategy on their cloud. And one of the, the first things I tell the organizations is that from an internal preparedness perspective, you ought to get your skill sets right up there. You ought to get your hands dirty with select workloads first. Uh, you know, the fact that we have to first answer the question that do we even need a multi-cloud or we, or we just probably need a multi-instance from this from one cloud provider because because and that's a huge debate look going multi-cloud in theory is as easy as having this conversation like we're having but multi-cloud in reality is uh, expensive unnecessary sometimes and really over the top so you know the first thing to ask is what are we building towards what are some of the workloads for example how often do you want to do your capacity planning you know uh, I'll give you an example. Banks, for example, earlier till date, in fact, have been doing capacity planning for five years. Now that is out the window. You ought to sort of start, you know, doing capacity planning six months, twelve months, simply because the amount of workloads you're going to be moving to the cloud is going to be very different. Um, also, I think, look, uh, uh, in reality, you can never move to a SaaS environment without essentially having a handshake with your business leaders. That's going to be impossible. Now, just imagine implementing an HRMS or let's say a Salesforce modernization platform without actually having a buy-in of people who are going to be using that on the ground. Um, and, and that, I think, is a, a huge um, point of failure within a lot of these movements. And I think another thing uh, is, is the readiness from a legality perspective. Uh, it's important to understand that when you are moving your data, your architecture, lifting and shifting it virtually to a cloud, our data localization norms is a very small, but also very new sort of a field. Uh, and the fact is a lot of these legal uh, bodies within the large organizations do not have an innate understanding of what it essentially means to move data. Where will it be stored? Uh, I'll give you a classic example. Uh, India still till now doesn't really have a policy wherein users, these use end user organizations are doing active audits of the hyper cloud providers every six to nine months. And the fact is that that at some stage, these changes within the IT team first need to be institutionalized. They need to get a few workloads up and running, understand the pains and the challenges, and then go full uh, full blown. So I think the from, from our perspective, when we work with clients, we sort of always and always advise them first have a, a roadmap for five years, then drill it down to let's say a six months, 12 month challenge, select workloads. Also, you know, um, what happens is there are these industry specific SaaS providers and industry specific cloud providers. Uh, for example, banking banks today in the country 
are using other banks to host their data. So, you know, it's important to understand where you want to sort of what sort of partners you are open to working with as well. And there are lots of these questions to be answered on the way. Um, so some of these points are what we typically discuss in these engagements. So I want, I want to add to the questions that uh, Sanjit asked, and it's really um, important because, you know, as we start looking at multi-cloud as a reality, I think the, the exam questions that we want to answer are, how do we get significantly smarter than today? Is multi-cloud going to allow me to do that? How do we transform while maintaining the freedom to adapt, say, some of the market-based needs of, of uh, uh, you know, both the business as well as the, the IT. Uh, how do we connect people better, especially in the in the hybrid multi-cloud world? Because all of a sudden you are going to have a larger diaspora. And lastly, how do we evolve uh, in, in multi-cloud environment with the sufficient framework around security practice to protect everything that matters to us? So if you try to answer these things methodically, the answer to... Uh, multi-cloud solution will 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 emerge out quite naturally. For example, CryptoWire uh, did exactly that. They kind of pivoted on, um, you know, bringing value through data analytics and AI, and therefore they kind of started really looking at multi-cloud as a means to get to the to to their end. And you know, uh, uh, so so uh, similarly, Kia Motors, for example, they for them it is the addressing the start-stop economy. And the needs, how IT addresses that need became became the number one uh, requirement. And therefore, they started looking at this more as a building out a collaboration cloud. So, you know, when you try to answer the business requirements through these simple four questions, I think the your choice of architecture for multi-cloud will automatically emerge. Absolutely. So, you know, Sanjit also uh, referred to business decision makers now uh, making their own uh, decisions, right? Uh, when it uh, comes to cloud. So I, I wanted to ask you, and since move, moving on from multi-cloud, this is another challenge today uh, within especially large organizations, uh, wherein uh, business decision makers in a particular department choose their own uh, application and sometimes maybe even the, uh, the cloud that it runs on, right? Uh, for instance, marketing could choose theirs, uh, finance could uh, choose something, uh, a SaaS application related to uh, GST compliance, etc. So how can really business and tech better partner when it comes to cloud and uh, software as a service, given this uh, new challenge that's uh, emerging? And how do uh, we federate and better manage these uh, environments? Yeah, it's, it's again a great question, right? And I think uh, uh, some of these um, responses to this, is, you know, Sanchit also alluded to this. If you were to really step back and look at where we have traversed this, initially it was all about you know, moving the VMs to cloud. Second, we started moving, lifting and shifting a lot of traditional workloads to, to cloud. See, while these two um, early transformations to cloud migrations were really uh, important, uh, they were more IT driven rather than anything else. There was an element of cost associated with it. But then again, the return on the investment often often did not deliver the uh, the compelling value proposition, particularly around the business transformation that one would hope for. It hasn't fundamentally changed how business leaders and uh, and, and to a large extent even employees uh, who work outside of IT would look at this transformation. And, and to your point, Ivor, it was just taking the old school IT and changing the operating model. 
what we are really looking at right now is when we, um, you know, at Google Cloud, we spend quite a bit of time with some of the top tech companies, top enterprises in every industry, uh, leading government agencies, and precisely on this issue. And when, you know, given that the virtualization and infrastructure cloud is now real, what would really make the digital transformation take the next step in the evolution, right? And that is the really interesting conversation. And when we get to that phase, uh, it, that's when the characteristics of transformation cloud emerges. We are just not making infrastructure decisions by truly embedding the need and capability, but also bringing the business element to it, to your point. Digitization is now becoming fundamental to that particular uh, phase and then move from what might have been uh, a top-down corporate strategy and an initiative from an infrastructure to a fully using, fully infused transformation, letting every person in the team, in the organization, including the end customer, realize the benefit of cloud. Therefore, in the transformation era or in the new way of looking at things, is, is should attempt to really answer some of the questions I asked earlier, which is how do you get smarter? How do you connect people? How do you secure everyone? And so on, right? So these are the real crux of the uh, you know, uh, uh, questions one would want to ask when you bring in the business angle to the transformation. You know, Sanjit, another thing when you bring in the business angle is, you know, I want to explore whether different kinds of organizations, now again, you speak to uh, multiple uh, CIOs from a customer-facing organization, from pretty close manufacturing organizations, etc. So how are they reacting to these trends uh, differently? And do you see new revenue streams, for instance, arising out of cloud because of the way they reacted? It's a, it's a brilliant segue. Thank you, Ivor. So just let, let me allow, allow me to dial back a little bit, first of all. You know, we did this prediction in 2018, and I really want to bring it out right now. So we predicted that by 2025, 50% of IT budget will actually reside with the CHROs, CMOs, and the CFOs. They are the guys who are really funding and it's actually the technology leaders which are um, sort of scrambling there because they're not the decision makers. They're actually the enablers. So they're, they sort of become the internal service providers. So it's a, see, the, the, the two waves of change. One is business is becoming stronger. It's buying cloud on, on a swipe of a card. So much so there are times that the IT does not even know it owns a cloud. Okay. So, and that comes to their surprise very often than not. Um, second of all, what's happening is even within the, by the way, this, this uh, dichotomy also exists within the IT team. It's not unheard of that you, you get multiple AWS or Google Cloud instances within the IT team and the bill swells up by the end of the month and the finance knows that there are multiple teams using the same provider on back of their credit card. So now what does this tell us? That you know the decision making has changed first of all and the decision makers have budgets of their own and veto powers of their own and don't necessarily need to have a buy-in from the IT, which used to traditionally slow them down. So, you know, today a marketing team can go out and just buy a marketing cloud without really involving IT. And that's the huge force of change. And that's where the IT budgets have moved as well. Also, if you were to look at a little bit, let's say more the HRMS solutions or the CRM solutions, um, let's be honest, today you don't have an awful lot of choice if you want to go on-prem. Uh, be it SAP, be it Oracle, be it Salesforce, you name the company, uh, they're all pivoting to cloud models simply uh, because one, there's demand for it, 
And second, uh, the the Wall Street analysts will kill you if your if your if your if your financials don't talk loud revenue. So so fact is, SaaS is a reality, and the more SaaS becomes a reality, the more business gets involved, and the more budget gets out of the hands. Now, also, if you look at how cloud has has changed from a SaaS perspective, um, earlier, as you know, Subram mentioned, we were more on the core IT part of it. We were focusing on virtualization, DevOps, ensuring infrastructure works for the workload specific. What happened over the course of time was there was an entire period of exploration uh, wherein the use cases were getting formed. You know, let's say HRMS was getting more solidified on the back of uh, you know, cloud. Uh, LMS was moving on to the cloud. And all of these point applications were slowly beginning to move on to the cloud. So what has happened on, 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 on the last part, a decade, I would say, you know, seven or 10 years, is that a lot of these SaaS has become so mature that that you have, have virtually no choice. But what's going to happen here on, it's going to be more industry-specific clouds. I'll give you an example. FSI, for example, has very, very strong compliance requirements. And the way you need to construct the workloads, the architecture, the expectations, the metrics, the KPIs, need to be sort of, you know, attuned to that in industry in specific. So what, and I'll give you another example. For example, blockchain. Now the use cases of blockchain and FSI or versus use of blockchain, let's say in healthcare, are very, very different. So what we will see here on is a very industry heavy orientation for this entire move. And the more industry specific orientation comes in, the more industry specific SaaS that would come in, you naturally would start targeting more business leaders. A great example or a proof in point is how these companies, RPA companies have evolved. They don't speak to the CIO. They go and actually target the CHROs, the CMOs, and the chief operating officers. They start talking to them and start selling them cloud and RPA. Another great example is data clouds. You know, uh, they, they, the data cloud companies are actually not targeting CIOs just in isolation. They're actually going and talking to a CMO and saying that you have five different marketing applications Let's bring in the data together. So it's a huge wave of change. And I think as industry-specific use cases start to become more solidified, as SaaS becomes larger, you will see the business handshake and IT handshake has to really, really grow. Now, the battle there is mindsets because a CIO, look, CIO's role only becomes more solid only after when they start controlling more of IT. And I think that's the battle that I think both business and IT are fighting because, and we've already seen uh, many large organizations have moved large part of their IT teams to outsourcing companies simply because there's no need for it anymore. There's so much automation in the back of SaaS. So I think there's a, there's a battle between who manages what and the more industry specific use cases arise, the more business becomes important. You alluded to data cloud subject, and you know, this is a question I wanted to run by you also. Uh, so, you know, data, data clouds are certainly driving massive investment, uh, with some, you know, calling it even a super cloud. These, and as Sanchit said, you know, uh, these, these deliver great value because they aggregate data from multiple clouds. So what are some of the opportunities and challenges here? Perhaps Subram, you could start and Sanchit, you could also add to this because I think this is a very important trend that uh, we'll see. Absolutely. A, a very, um, significant change that is happening and, um, essentially, this is all about making your business smarter, right? And when you look at key drivers, I want to talk about two things. First is about how data itself enables business to become smarter and build 
the necessary value differentiation in what the customers experience. Uh, businesses are now becoming smarter and they are leveraging the cloud to be the platform which drives that significant change. More specifically, data to power their business. This is the you know, data-driven business or insight-driven businesses. Essentially, it is about uh, uh, an ingredient that globally businesses can use to, to rocket fuel their business. So that is, that is given. That is why there is so much excitement in the, in the cloud market for data cloud. We have seen the growth and excitement of how data lakes are becoming more common in an org from an organizational imperative and why business intelligence has become part of every organization's optimization plans. Once the data is generated, then the, the smart analytic solution can, can allow companies to kind of democratize access to all business data. If you recall, this business data and intelligence used to be sort of accessible only to a small set of data analysts or you know, AI specialists and so on. And this data cloud is a main means of how the data and insights can be democratized to all stakeholders and that towards scale. When you add the self-service and visualization capabilities, um, acceleration to insights and making sure that gets integrated into the business becomes a lot more powerful and a reality. Now, if you add the artificial intelligence on top of this, which is the second part I want to talk about, uh, you know, the, the, this is a force multiplier. Uh, you know, the business value realization cycles will be much faster and that much more amplified. And, you know, more importantly, um, uh, this is where solutions like delightful customer experiences, preventing fraud and increasing manufacturing efficiency they will all become relevant in respective industries, whether it is FSI or retail or, you know, supply chain and so on. You know, um, cloud platform itself uh, is, is become more of an essential ingredient to provide this innovation. And um, uh, as, um, uh, I can give examples of, again, uh, Twitter or Major League Baseball uh, who have built the data cloud and they realized benefits exactly what I just talked about, right? So this has become sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, the fundamental characteristic, the bedrock of any insight-driven enterprise, so to say. It's fascinating what Subram said. Allow me to jump in if I can, please. Yeah, please. Okay. So, you know, I, I, I'll start by uh, talking about a, an, a, a meeting that I had with the chief strategy officer of one of India's large conglomerates. Very fascinating conversation. I got this call at noon and he said, you know, pop into my office at two o'clock, you're in Bombay. I so managed to go to that event point. So I finally landed there. The first question they said, they said, look, we produce 20 billion data points a year. Now we are not, we are in the business, we are in the business of manufacturing, financial services, all of that, but we produce 20 billion data points a year. So the, the question they had for me is that how can we use this data not from anything, but from a monetization perspective, you know, and because the API economy is becoming so real, can we use this data to let's just sell better insurance products? Can we sell, use this data to probably co-launch a new product with a startup, for example? So I think the, the way that you can use data and, and gone are the days when you just use data from an internal consumption perspective. I think data today is, uh, I know it sounds very, 
cheesy but data is the oil virtually or oil is the oil whatever but data virtually has become that engine that allows you to spring growth on the back of right and i think that's where there's been a fundamental change in mindset at chief strategy officers at executive board level that the what can we do with this data not just from an internal operation efficiency perspective but from a market facing and participating in the api economy that's a fundamental change now you see why did we even reach there and why is data cloud important let's understand that first Traditionally, what we've had is that these large organizations have made a ton of investments in a traditional on-premise data warehousing architecture. They've you know, invested then in Hadoop clusters on cloud. Then they've invested a lot of money in network appliances that were sold by some of large boys in the game like IBM and the others. Now, all of a sudden, what they have is this three-pronged heavy investments in, in, these, in this architecture, and again, being used by five business analysts who produce 10 reports a month, which get consumed 30 days after the business cycle is over. So which means everything is prorated, everything is delayed, and the outcome, and there is no ROI. So, you know, these organizations have struggled with the democratization of data internally. Now, all of a sudden comes in SaaS, and every SaaS provider has their own dashboard. Every SaaS provider will want you to use their own analytics. Then comes in the infrastructure service guys like the Amazons and the Googles, they have their own excellent dashboards. But the point is, how many dashboards can an organization consume beyond a point? And that's where Data Cloud really comes in is because there is so much of disparate data clouds across that you need, you need a layer of abstraction on top of that that essentially allows you to make sense. Now, it is absolutely relevant today. Why? Because Customer journeys are changing. Now, I'll give you an example. If you're in retail, if you launch a campaign to move customers from online to offline or vice versa, there's absolutely no way for you to track the customer journey if the data isn't actually in a single console. Now, and irrespective of what any vendor would say, look, the Kool-Aid of a single customer view has been sold for the last 20 years, and it hasn't been realized until now. Now, to manage the complexity of the data, in, which is floating around in pockets across the organization, data cloud becomes absolutely fundamental. However, having said that, look, data cloud comes in with a lot of expense. It's an intense environment. It will require for the organization to actually invest in resources that can use the data cloud. For I'll tell you why, because ultimately, you will have to be able to justify the costs around it. You will have to be able to consume the investments that you're doing. So while data cloud in ideal world is going to be very important, the issue being back to what we started from is ROIs. How do we use this data cloud? What do we use it for? And how do we actually ensure and actually show results in the back off? I'll give you an example. We're doing a POC right now. We're part of the creation of an RFP for a large company which is using data cloud and wants to use data cloud, one of the metrics of measurement is that if we use data cloud, will it help improve sales from our website? Today we do 20 crores, will it go to 100 crores? Can we show a direct correlation? If you cannot, if you cannot show a direct correlation, why even invest? So I think these are the big question marks ahead of organizations who are ex trying to explore and need to actually have a data cloud in place. Well, that really is, has been uh, fascinating. I want to know, we're running out of time, so I just want to deal with some of the other uh, questions I have. And one of them really 
you know, we, we, since we started talking about stop and start economy, etc., risk is a, plays a huge role over there. So, Sanjit, can you tell us a little bit about the impact of cloud on a company's risk posture and the role of uh, compliance really over here? What are some of the trends you're seeing over here? Yeah, and I'll try and keep my answer short in the interest of time. Look, um, uh, you know, there is absolutely no environment called the zero risk environment. One ought to be real. I think one, every organization today wants to have, or needs to have a certain appetite to risk. Now, the question mark is how do you measure risk and how is it changing, right? It's changing because you never had APIs earlier. You never had a data exchange. You never had to sort of participate in an industry cloud or you never actually had to exchange data with a startup to co-create a product. So I think the the livers of who uses data, how is plus, there was also no sensitivity either of data privacy being such a big topic, you know. In fact, India today still doesn't have a very strong data privacy legal architecture from that standpoint. We're still struggling and that's why, uh, you know, people are still abusing India from a, a test and trials and abusing Indian data. Uh, so, so I think the, the the role of compliance is significant. In the more compliant industries like FSI, you will see better postures. However, uh, I think organizations internally are beginning to try and measure what sort of and the new agents of risk they onboard as they work with new partners, with new technology on the back of APIs, as they also even onboard new vendors who they haven't ever worked with, you know, for example, the old saying goes, right, you never get uh, fired for hiring an IBM. Guess what? You're, you're hiring more than IBM today. You're hiring Snowflake, for example. You're hiring new smaller companies who probably don't even have an India presence, people who don't even have an India billing system for that matter. So these are all risks and these levers need to be managed. So that is why we see larger companies now have a position called the CRO, the Chief Risk Officer, which is getting equipped to handle a lot of these conversations around API, around GDPR, and all of these compliance postures are actually improving. What's also happening on, on the other side of the table is that something called self-compliance. Now, if you were to look at it, say Netflix and the others, they're under tremendous pressure to be able to one, communicate to the customer what sort of data is collected about them, and more importantly, uh, you know, there are census issues. So let's say if, if people don't like a certain topic, is there a way to manage that data? Is there, a way, is there, is there an additional risk to the organization? So I think it's very contextual. And, and I think there's always going to be risk that organizations will onboard. But simply because, you know, uh, banks should have more APIs, they're exchanging more data, they are new partners you are co-creating with and using their technology off. I think the risk has totally changed. And I think the chief risk office uh, has a new challenge ahead in terms of quantifying and more importantly, qualifying the risk, I would say. I, I want to add to what uh, Sanchit was mentioning. And that is uh, more to do with how uh, you complement the risk posture by providing sufficient levels of protection security. And it's about trusted, trusting the cloud or trusted cloud, right? So for example, um, at Google Cloud, uh, it, it is about defending the data against threats and fraudulent activity using the same infrastructure and security services that we use for our own operations. And the, you can imagine the kind of scale and complexity that we operate with. And then uh, empowering the customers with the advanced capabilities uh, that would otherwise be unavailable. Right? So 
and this is the re- reason why you know the the trusted cloud as a as a basic premise for the transformation is necessary now if you were to really look at this uh, in a core concerns around the risk that you that you referred to it's about enabling safer access simplifying the secure access to to kind of service of uh, employees customers and so on protect protecting against threats and providing a very clear visibility and the need to find um, and analyze and resist threats that are uh, that is facing the business and finally having the strategy and sanchit uh, alluded to this a little bit earlier to take advantage of some of the innovations that are happening on cloud while meeting all the sovereignty and governance requirements to maintain the control posture so you know it, it is essentially built on three pillars ever one is the secure platform that delivers the uh, transparency required as well as the sovereignty required to make sure that data is sufficiently safeguarded and protected and in 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 your control and second is providing a zero trust architecture and this is about battle tested technology that that you know companies like google has has provided and last but not least we are moving away from uh, a shared fate uh, 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 or m- moving towards a shared fate kind of a posture as against uh, you know shared responsibility and this is an interesting interesting uh, you know thought process it is not only about providing the infrastructure and technology but also taking the customers all the way to how they realize the benefits of it and security till the time they deliver the services and products to their end customers so you know a lot of things are changing here and changing for the good to to make sure that you know trusted uh, you know cloud is in place and and making the the uh, you know customers you know business successful in a secure manner can i just add something to that you know i i think there's a very important point that subram just raised i think there are two concepts one is grc one is cybersecurity um and i think these are two different uh of streams that ultimately impact the overall risk of the organization and we are seeing an, an immense amount of investment that organizations are making of course on the cybersecurity posture as well but we shouldn't confuse the risk posture to the cybersecurity posture they're two different things right so i think there's an important point that doesn't get discussed often that grc and cybersecurity are two different fields go hand in hand affect each other's decisions but you cannot have either or you know it's an and strategy so that's all that's a very important uh, reminder sanjit uh, thank you uh, for that you know i, I wanted to finally uh, come down to i think one thing is clear that cloud is enabling new ways of doing business uh, are really emerging from this uh, stop and uh, start uh, economy and it's 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 very clear what what are some of the drivers so i, I wanted to ask you supran in, in terms of jobs etc what are you really seeing uh, uh, on this front and what are people Uh, who want to upskill themselves and uh, be ready for this new cloud-driven work environments? What what do they need to do? Yeah, I mean, see, the transformation is real, and in this cloud era, uh, the alignment of cloud outcomes are going to be increasingly tightly aligned to the outcome of the business. So you will see specializations like data analytics, artificial intelligence, collaboration, security in a cloud environment. Will, that will become sort of uh, you know will gain the center stage so to so to say and they will emerge strongly and therefore they will provide a very rich set of career options industry solutions 
uh, in the context of cloud environments will, will i think will make use of some of the uh, capabilities abundant capabilities that cloud provides uh, for example telehealth or merchandising solutions financial solutions that are all available on cloud and you will see a lot more uh, you know careers career options that 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 will be born out of this right specifically on the data cloud data ops ml ops devops data visualization data literacy you know these are all going to be specializations and therefore um, uh, provide a very rich set of career options or or uh, you know um, possible options that will come out and same thing exists with cybersecurity also there's a lot of specializations there these are all becoming the here and now kind of uh, choices companies are making and therefore you know uh, excellent choices well you know i think we really we really run out of time we've had such a rich discussion at the at the end of uh, you know this i want to ask you if uh, you all could perhaps you know take just a minute uh, to identify maybe the top 3 uh, cloud trends uh, for the next uh, one year perhaps if if at all uh, that's possible uh, so maybe uh, subram you want to go first yeah um why 3 we will we'll go with 4 sure <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, data cloud, um, the openness and open source adoption along with cloud framework, the collaboration part of it, and finally security. So all these things will become a very strong set of, uh, you know, uh, uh, premise for cloud to grow and evolve. I have a different spin, and you know, Sobram did a great justice to the trends. You know, I have I have five C's of the cloud, or five five things that I think are going to be very important in cloud. One is going to be the business of cloud. look it's not the same as the technology of cloud the business of cloud means things like legality grc and all that we spoke about second is the technology of cloud which is engineering hardcore product guys you know who get their hands dirty and actually make products so that's the second wave that we'll see a lot of change in third is the research of cloud look i think there is an entire new body of research which is coming out there talking about how to manage ai how to do automation and data management and workflows and that's the research of cloud more forward looking and not really consumed within today the third thing a fourth thing is the security of cloud again a huge stream of topic which i think deserves justice on its own and the fifth thing is the data of cloud so business of cloud technology of cloud research of cloud security of cloud and the data of cloud i think these are five things that i'm why why am i doing 10 i have five things which i think uh, are going to define how cloud matures here on i think uh, for any organization wanting to sort of uh, you know really champion cloud these are five areas they must understand very closely i would say well thank you so much gentlemen we've had a really fascinating uh, discussion uh, understanding uh, some of the new uh, cloud trends that uh, we're seeing today some of the new technologies uh, that we're seeing today uh, in this uh, front multi cloud we really ex- explored that uh, data clouds and i think more, more importantly we've understood how they really matter to a business now businesses and business leaders uh, can really uh, use them better uh, thank you so much uh, sanjit and uh, uh, sundram for joining us here we really appreciate you on this uh, bloomberg conversation on the future of cloud powered by you know why and we really want to thank you for taking us through this uh, a really insightful exciting journey and i'm sure the future really seems bright it's definitely the future is on the cloud Oh, um, it definitely is a very great thing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ivor, for having us on the show, and Sanjit, thanks, and um, you know, great to meet you again. I hope. Thank you. Thanks, Ivor, and thanks, Subram. It's been wonderful chatting. Thank you very much. Thank you.